Welcome to the Illuminating Primary Care Podcast, a general practice podcast brought to you by Menlo Park Recruitment. Illuminating Primary Care is here to quiz primary care leaders to offer professional knowledge, experience and insight on the biggest topics in general practice. It's the podcast to listen to if you work in primary care. Welcome to the Illuminating Primary Care Podcast. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Illuminating Primary Care. I'm your host, Kieran Fletcher, and my guest today is a gentleman who specialises in helping GP trainees succeed with MRCGP and beyond, and that is Dr. Erwin Kuhn. Erwin, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? Hi, Kieran. Thank you very much for inviting me. Um, How are you doing? Yes, very well. Thank you. Very well. Thank you for uh, for agreeing to come on the podcast. now, just for our listeners' benefit, Erwin and I connected on uh, LinkedIn a little while ago, um, and I've been following various posts that he's um, been putting up on that particular um, uh, system. Um, but Erwin, if you could give our listeners a bit of a background about yourself, a bit of an understanding as to who you are and what you do, uh, that would be fantastic. So yeah, my name is Dr. Erwin Kwan. I'm a um, portfolio GP, very passionate about medical education. To give you some background, I grew up in Mauritius. So um, I came to the UK to pursue my career. And since um, I've studied and work here and um, I consider here as um, home now. So um, the thing is, um, as a GP trainee, um, I found it really difficult in terms of um, how you could consult and communicate. Growing up, I used to be um, very shy and just the idea of speaking with somebody would make me feel sweaty and and I had some um, problems where I was not very confident. So Going through the training, I had to work outside of my comfort zone and, and develop my communication skills. And one of the exams that um, GP trainees have to do to complete was a MRCGP RCA. And one of the things that I found struggling here was that, like how to develop a communication skill and be able to communicate and consult within a time frame. At the time, it was 10 minutes. So um, I got some help from um, various people and support and managed to clear that exam and CCT in 2021. Since I've CCT'd, I've noticed that there are other GB trainees who are struggling a lot, especially people who come from overseas. As you can tell, um, English is not my first language. So um, when people come from overseas, they might not be speaking English as their first language. So there's that language barrier and communicating um, with patients in a country like UK where there's difference in culture it can be more difficult mm-hmm. so I've been helping GP trainees with their consultation and communication skills and my mission is to help doctors lead a fulfilling life so I really am I'm passionate about um, coaching and helping somebody when they're feeling they're stuck and don't know what to do and help them to get to a point where they are inspired and they can live their best life. So that's something that I've been doing for the last couple of years, and I really enjoy what I'm doing. Fantastic. And what you've just mentioned there, Owen, about how that is your mission, that really comes across from you know the posts that you put out there on LinkedIn. And um, I know from a previous conversation, you mentioned you've got a YouTube channel as well. That's fine, yeah. So um, I started my YouTube channel in 2017. At the time, there were not many people um, from the medical uh, community was posting things about um, um, GP training and um, 
The reason I started this was because I could see that YouTube is a great platform for um, me to learn. And in med school, I use YouTube to learn as well. So I thought if I'm uh, able to produce some videos and that might help somebody else, then um, that would be great for them because I can pass on that learning. And with YouTube, the beauty is that if I've done a video, then it can be watched by thousands and hundreds of thousands of people without me having to teach one by one individually. So that was really um, something I found um, a great tool to use to scale things up. And that's how a, a lot of GP trainees found out about um, what I do, to be honest. Yes. Yeah, it, it is a fantastic platform for training and, and for even just getting an idea as to um, a bit of an inside look into the life of a GP or a GP trainee. YouTube's superb for that. Um, fantastic. So in terms of prior to the podcast, Erwin um, and I, just for the benefit of our listeners, um, had a conversation about a few different points that we were going to be um, wanting to discuss today. Um, now, the first point that we've said we're going to talk about, Erwin, is um, struggles that GP trainees face. Um, so from your experience coaching and, and um, being a GP yourself, what have been some of the kind of key struggles that you found GP trainees do face and, and how have they been overcome? So the various uh, struggles people um, have at stages of their training and in the third year of the training, many GP trainees struggle with the last final exam of MLCGP. So um, one thing is um, when somebody's um, fail the exam, then um, it knock on the, they have a, a confidence uh, issue where it knock off their confidence and they find it very difficult to pick themselves up and be able to brace themselves for the next exam. So um, I've helped um, a number of GP trainees, um, many of them are IMGs who um, struggle with the last exam and um, confidence is a major issue. Because when somebody's um, had a fail for the exam, then they start thinking about um, their skills, um, they doubt their ability to practice, and they feel like they might not be good enough. And this is a really bad place to be because it is like we worsen the situation when you start having these negative thoughts. Yeah. And um, with coaching, um, I found it really helpful because it is a catalyst for change. When somebody's stuck from point A, then they need to get to point B. Coaching can help them to clarify the mind and, and see more um, clarity and be able to believe in themselves and then take the next step to progress. So I've helped GP trainees who failed the exam multiple times and it doesn't affect just their training, it affects their whole life. So it, it has effects on their mental health, their, their personal life and, and the family as well. Some people find that it can be humiliating because they've done this exam a few times and their peers have already graduated and become GP and they're still stuck in their training. So it is um, really difficult, but there are ways and there's hope. And that's something I want every GP who's in that situation to know that if they can get the right guidance, then they may be able to get a solution. Absolutely. And just going off what you've mentioned there, Owen, about how it can it, failing can affect somebody mentally and, and, and in terms of their own health. Uh, I've actually had conversations with GPs who've, who've failed their RCAs. Um, and then they kind of say to me, you know, I, I need to rethink about whether or not I actually want to resit because I don't know if I can go through that again. Um, so you really get that understanding as to whether or not GPs can go through it if, if they can stand the, the pressure and, and that comes with having to resit. And as you say as well, 
I think a big part of it is it's it's difficult to kind of see those peers and colleagues complete it, go off and become a GP, and you're still stuck in the, in the training side of things. So um, with these struggles that you do find a commonplace, Irwin, how do you coach people to kind of deal with them and, and build back their confidence? So that's a good question. Everybody's got their own um, difficulty. And I can tell you the story of a GB trainee who I help who failed the RCA four times. And when somebody's failed multiple times, uh, they, they've got issues where some people, if they are not aware, then they'll keep doing the same thing and repeating mm. it, expecting to get different results. And that's not a really good strategy. So um, one thing with this GP trainee was um, he struggled to consult within 12 minutes and um, being able to consult within that time frame is, is um, really important to be able to develop the management plan and not squeezing it. And um, we analyzed his consultation and um, we managed to find out what were the issues that was causing him to um, take so long in his consultation. So most people, when they've got their consultation going far too long, there are causes to that. And we need to identify what are the causes and tackle each of them mm. so that um, the, the consultation can then be compressed within 12 minutes. And the other issue that he had was a lack of confidence. As you can imagine, after failing it so many times, mm. sometimes you might feel, will you ever pass this exam? And, and to be able to build that confidence is really important. Because for this exam, if somebody is not confident, then it's going to show in the way they're speaking, in the behavior. And building confidence is not something that you do just by thinking about it. It comes with practice, refining, seeing evidence that you're making progress. And by seeing that evidence, then your confidence slowly grows. And by building his confidence and working on the issues in the consultation, then we managed to get his consultation in a different place where he was able to consult within 12 minutes. So yeah, I mean, um, there are various problems each person has got and being able to analyze that and let that person to draw some of the um, solution themselves and, and be able to do it helps. Because um, the difference between teaching and coaching is that teaching, you teach somebody, you tell them what needed to do, whereas coaching is drawing it from the person and helping that person to find a solution because it's more powerful when it comes from the person. Excellent. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think you've you've hit the nail on the head there with the difference between teaching and coaching. Um, and like you say, with with coaching, I think you're working on what's there and what's you know what's got that individual to that point and what they need to be looking at as an individual. Whereas teaching, to a degree, you you may agree with this or, or not to him, but from my perspective, is it almost kind of that that blanket of this is what you need to know, this is what needs to be done. But coaching is a lot more individual. Would you agree with that? Well, absolutely. So teaching is more prescriptive. The teacher is telling the student what to do. As coaching, it's more of a, um, a coach where they will help you to find clarity as in what's not working and help you to come to a solution. Excellent. Excellent. And just going off what we've discussed there, Owen, I know you've, you've touched on already how failing the exam and, and going through all of that can affect the health of a GP. Um, one of the other points we wanted to discuss was doctors' well-being. Um, now, is there a particular 
kind of idea that or, or suggestions that you would prescribe to uh, GP trainees in order to mainly look after their well-being or is there kind of an overall for all doctors uh, type thing that you would want to uh, prescribe shall we say? Well, um, I think um, I can tell from my own experience. I mean, um, during my training, I was neglecting my well-being to some extent. And, and um, it, it came um, when I realized that um, I was doing night shift and it really affected my well-being. Because when you do a set of night shift, it affects your sleeping pattern and knock-on effect on the following week. And I realized that um, I've been neglecting my well-being and in the long term, it's not a great way to sustain a career. So um, this is when I made my well-being a priority. So what really is important is that um, to understand that um, to be a good doctor, I need to take care of myself first before I can take care of others. And that's something that um, in the beginning when I started my um, medical career, I didn't really um, understand that. I was thinking if I'm going to um, uh, do more, skip my break, I'm going to be more productive and be able to see more patients. But th that's not really the way that um, helps in the long term. So um, unless it's something of an emergency, uh, now I make sure that I take my break and uh, I look after myself because I know that will help me uh, to be a better doctor. So I think um, it's important for everybody to think about um, how um, prioritize the well-being is on their list of things and um, whether it's something that they might need to consider uh, or not. Okay. And do you think that particularly applies to, to trainees as well then who, like you said, in order to try and gain experience, they might go and do that night shift or they might skip the break or work through their lunch um, lunch time. Is that something that, I know you've touched on it yourself, but is that so, the sort of thing that you're finding with the um, GP trainees that you're coaching at the moment as well, Erwin? So among the GP trainees I coach, um, I think um, a lot of them um, do struggle with um, their um, demand on, on the work and, and struggle. Some of them, they might have issues where, for example, uh, there was a GP trainee I spoke with not so long ago who had to deal with a complaint on top of having to sit an exam and the busyness of work, the demand. So well-being in that sense would be if you've had a, a really challenging consultation it's important before you see the next patient, maybe go in, make yourself a cup of tea, take some time, speak with somebody um, who is your senior, who might give you some um, uh, reassurance or insights um, so that you don't take it personally. Sometimes you might have patients who um, are demanding or can um, uh, be um, abrupt with you. And if you take it personally, then it's going to affect your well-being. Whereas if, if you um, see it for what it is and understand that um, maybe that person is having a bad day and um, you don't take it personally and take some time to speak with somebody else having that supportive network is helpful so yeah there are various ways that trainees can um, make sure that they're managing their well-being at work despite the busyness and and uh, look at how the network is for example having a supportive peer of other gp trainees can help as well Excellent. Okay. So it, it sounds then as though it's important for GP trainees to have this supportive environment around them from, like you say, more experienced colleagues who they could go to, but also not to be 
too hard on themselves um you know to appreciate that like you say that patient could be having a bad day or it might just be that uh you know you, you've caught somebody on a, in a bad moment it's important to take into account these factors because they, they will influence every day when they're a qualified gp i suppose won't they Absolutely. So there's something that I remind myself every time when something challenging is happening is that there are two ways you can react. So the first one is a knee-jerk reaction. Somebody is making a demand and you're not happy about it. Then the situation can escalate if you just react. But you can take some time and then respond. So if you take some time and respond to it, and, and when you respond to it, you have a measured response, then that's probably going to be better for yourself because if um, you're calm and responding assertively and politely to that person, then the person will likely understand what's going on. And also, it's not going to affect your um, well-being as well because if you're um, angry about it and it raises your blood pressure, it, it just sours your day. It's it's not good for the next um, clinic that you're going to have. So um, you can't control what people might be doing, but you can control how you respond to a, a situation. So make sure that um, you control what you can and things that's outside of your control, don't let them affect you so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah, I think that, that's great advice for anybody as well as GP trainees, um, for sure. And and just in terms of your experience, as, as you've gone through your training side of things, Erwin, and you've got to that point now where you, you know, you've got more experience and other GPs who you may be trained with, has there got, got to this point where there's a knack for that sort of thing now, you know, to, to get used to how to deal with these sorts of things? You know, does, does it take quite a lot of practice in the training you know to not let these uh, certain patients affect you or to make sure that you you're having your breaks and things like that does it take quite a long time to get to that point or is it something you think people can pick up quite quickly I think the environment that uh, you work in is really important. So if you're working in a GP practice when um, uh, all the GPs there, um, they think it's important to take break and they have a catch up over tea during lunchtime and discuss some of the difficult cases, that's a really good culture where um, you, you're likely to be um, enjoying that work because you have that camaraderie. Whereas if you're working in a practice where every GP is in the room, they, they don't really talk to each other, mm. and you just see your patient, and if you've had a really difficult patient, you don't feel comfortable to go and speak with somebody, then um, it's going to be more difficult for, for that GP uh, who's working in that environment to um, carry on and working. They might feel a bit lonely as well and stress. So um, I think it's really um, the, the environment that you're working in and the teamwork, um, because I know some, some general practitioners who um, they prefer to have their um, own um, room and they don't talk with others that much. But it's, it's something to do with your personality and, and also the culture and the team that you're working with. Absolutely. Absolutely. Perfect. Thank you. Um, now, one of the key points that we we said that we wanted to discuss as well, Owen, which I think makes up a, a big part of your workload at the moment, is preparation for MRCGP SCA. Um, what can you kind of tell our listeners a little bit about, you know, kind of how you got into that side of things and, and helping people with the preparation for that, but also what you do kind of talk about with your coaching and uh, and that side of things? 
So the MRC-GP-SC is a new exam replacing the RCA. The good thing about the SCA is that it's going to be standardized. So every GP trainee sitting in on the same day will have similar cases, whereas in the RCA, it was not standardized. So, um, for example, if a GP trainee um, is working in a university practice, they might struggle to get cases of elderly patients and it's not that fair for everybody. And also, um, it depends if the patient wants to be recorded as well. If the patient doesn't want to be recorded and they have the right to, to decline, then it's more difficult for that trainee to, to submit the cases that they need to pass. Whereas for the SCA, it's going to be a hybrid model between the old CSA and the RCA. So it's going to be remote consultation and um, GP trainees can do it from the local GP surgery. So um, the good thing about the SC is that it's going to be standardized and also um, there will be simulators. So um, the cases that will be um, on the SCA would not be like real life cases where some of the patients might be talking more and, and um, you might have consultation that's not appropriate for 12 minutes. Whereas for the SCA, the cases have been designed for 12 minutes. And um, to, to succeed in the SCA, preparation is very important, as you said. So um, it is something that I suggest GP trainees to prepare at least three months. They need to have um, started their preparation for the SCA. Ideally, a good position to, to start it was when you've already completed your AKT and you've had at least six months of experience in general practice. Because if you're starting and, and sitting the exam too soon, for example, if a GP trainee is on 20-minute appointment slot, it's going to be difficult for that GP trainee to consult within 12 minutes mm. in the SCA. So it's something that you have to work towards. It's not like a sprint somebody does. It's a marathon. So you have to train uh, day in and day out until you get to that point where you're managing a case, a complex case within 12 minutes and comfortable doing that. And that's when you're ready to sit the SCA. Now, I know some people might never feel ready to sit it, but they have to sit it at some point. But you need to know when to sit it the best time for yourself to give yourself the best of chance. So that's a really interesting point you've touched on there, Owen, because from... And I'm sure I'm not the only person who will think this. I'm sure some of our listeners will be in agreement with me that particularly when it's been the RCA in the past, it gets to that certain point in your career, you've, you've done X amount of training. So the next logical step is the RCA. Whereas that's not always going to be, from what you've said, the right step. You know, it, it might be better off that you could get some more experience or do this or do that before completing that. So it sounds as though with the SCA, it's about making sure you're at the right point to sit it. It's not just a case of, right, well, it's the next logical step in terms of uh, my career, but it's also about find, making sure it's the right time for you as an individual. Yeah, the, the timing is very important because um, for the SCA, unlike the RCA, which it's ongoing, you're taking um, these recordings uh, for month, the SCA, everything is done on one day. So um, you need to make sure that you're doing it on a day where um, it's going to be your, the most ready if possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Fantastic. And and with that in mind, um, I know you talked about there um, in terms of making sure it's, it's the right time for somebody, but also kind of the um, 
it, we, we've touched on environments like you know being in the right environment having the support structure there um with preparation for these exams what have been some of kind of the the biggest issues you found that have made people feel that they're not ready has it been factors like you know the the difficulty with certain patients for instance or has it been things along the lines of the demographic that they're dealing with or the the support structure in the practice what sort of thing have you come across there Owen? So I've noticed that um, some GP trainers struggle because um, they're working in a very busy practice. I've had a GP trainee who had to be pulled out of a practice because there's been sickness. So um, they were in the middle of the RCA and because there was no supervisor, they had to be pulled out of that practice and now is going to see the SCA. So there's various um, challenges with the um, RCA because you need to make sure that the practice is on board and they can help you so that you can have a, a good environment to conduct the examination. And, and we're seeing a, a lot of challenges in general practice um, with the f- workforce crisis and, and uh, GP trainees also feel that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Fantastic. Thank you. And um, the final point that we wanted to discuss in today's podcast though, as well as the um, developing a portfolio career. Um, now for, for those GPs uh, or listeners of ours who have maybe given this some thought, but never really pursued it. Um, what's your experience been like with portfolio careers Owen, or, or what can you tell our listeners a little bit about them? So portfolio career is when um, you have uh, multiple roles and, and, for me, the reason I started a portfolio career was that um, I like to have um, uh, various um, interests and, and also cultivate that. So, um, for example, my portfolio career includes medical education, I do coaching, and also do content creation. And the, the way that I went about developing my portfolio career has been from trying various things and seeing what um, I want in a career. So, you know, most people, they, they go into a career by default. They are not really developing a career by design. So um, being able to be the architect of your career and choosing what career you want is going to give you more fulfillment in your life. Because if you let others decide what career you have, then you're having a career by default that might not really um, fulfill you. So for somebody who's thinking about developing a portfolio career, it's helpful to think about what is it that you enjoy doing? What gives you passion? Also think about what um, is your mission? What is it that you want to do? and and also, you need to think about whether it's financially viable. So there are things that you might enjoy doing, but nobody's going to pay you for doing that. Mm. So it needs to actually um, be um, fulfilling all this, and then you can develop a sustainable portfolio career. It's helpful to try various things. I know some uh, GP trainees or GPs who are thinking of medical education. There's many opportunities in medical education. So if you're interested in it, you can get in touch with your um, local um, VTS or um, the medical school and see whether they need somebody who, who can facilitate a teaching session to start with. And then you see whether you like it or not. If you like it, you can commit more. With portfolio GPs, in, in my experience, Erwin, from um, working on the, the Menlo Park desk for, for um, quite some time now, 
what I found is that portfolio GPs often seem to be GPs who are a little bit more um, experienced, shall we say. You know, they've had a few more years under their belt. They've got, they've had that opportunity to try this, try that, understand what they like and, and learn what their favourites are. Um, for a newly qualified GP or a GP trainee, would you say it's easy to kind of plan ahead, you know, thinking, right, once I qualify, I'm going to look at a portfolio career? Or in your experience, is it better for someone to get their feet under a desk, get some experience, and then maybe a year or two or, or three down the line, start to think about that sort of portfolio side of things? I think that's a good point. So uh, you can still develop your portfolio career as a GP trainee if you want to do it early. However, training is already packed with various things that you need to do. So I think it's important that you focus on clearing your exam first. So make sure that uh, you're doing everything you need for your AKT, for your new SE exam, your portfolio. Once you've done that, if you've got some time, then you can um, develop other interests. And for example, if, if somebody's interested in minor surgery, as a GP trainee, they can attend a minor surgery course so that um, this is startling the foundation for the portfolio career. So it's something that um, is really dependent on somebody, how committed they are and whether they've got other commitments as well that might be better for them to wait until they've CCT to do it. Absolutely. Fantastic. Um, wonderful. Well, that's everything that we uh, were wanting to go through today, Owen. Uh, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure to speak to you. Um, for the benefits of our listeners, where can they kind of connect with you or get in touch with you online? So, yeah, uh, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. It's Dr. Erwin Kwan, or you can go on the website. It's drwinkwan.com. Thank you very much for taking the time to um, have a chat with me today, Karen. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you for your time. And um, we'll also put a link to your YouTube channel um, in the page as well for uh, any of our online listeners to, uh, to have a look at. Um, but, yeah, thank you again for your time, Erwin. It's very much appreciated. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Illuminating Primary Care Podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, review and share so others can find the podcast too. We really appreciate your support. If you're a practice looking to recruit permanent clinicians, such as GPs, nurses or allied health staff, please get in touch at menloparkrecruitment.com or email james at menloparkrecruitment.com. For daily primary care news, please follow Menlo Park Recruitment on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for listening and we hope you'll join us next time for another episode of the Illuminating Primary Care Podcast.